when I do step into a class as a yogi, like as a student and not a teacher, it just looks like another version of the London Tube, you know, where their mat is their personal space. And when someone else steps on your mat, it's almost like a, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And why, you know? And, you know, when we talk about yoga as connection and integration, it's not just connecting within to yourself, but then bringing that out towards others. That's, I feel, the only way you can then enhance the quality of your life. That's David Cam, and this, my friends, is the Yoga Life Podcast. So earlier this week, we celebrated Earth Day, and I've been thinking to myself, why, why do I do this podcast? what is the point in in living <laughs> like why i i don't earn a lot of money doing this i um i and i i feel like i'm trying to make my intro short but i i want to um live for more than myself to actually make a little bit of difference in the world and um to uh, and and just to everything i've seen on earth day has really brought home to me in the david attenborough documentary our planet about the impact that we're having. And I've already explored the notion of moving to an eco-village down in the countryside, growing my own vegetables. And uh, at the moment, that's not a possibility. So uh, for financial reasons, but I I can't afford it. (laughs) Um, So what can I do right now that's sustainable for me to, to make a bit of a difference? And therefore I am pleased, delighted, excited to announce a new sponsor, Small Changes. They are a local organic whole foods and eco-friendly store. Just down the road from me and in Dublin City in Drumcondra, um, but they are expanding. That's all I can say for now, and there's more exciting news to happen this summer. So what do they do? Well, they offer local organic produce, season willing, and sustainable eco-friendly where possible, unpackaged options and refills, taking care of the ethical sourcing and affordability so that you can make the changes that matter most for you. So if you're looking to help, to do your bit, to reduce your waste, support local, I recommend going down, there's no promo codes, no discount, I don't earn a commission from this, to go down to their store in the ABC, Lower Job Conjure Road, number 40, that's in Dublin 9, and um, check them out. Go onto their website, smallchanges.ie. You can go down, bring your, your cup with you, you, and you get 50 cent off a fresh juice or a smoothie. Have a little browse around and maybe pick up some stuff. Um, feel free to tell them Kevin sent you. That'll be much appreciated. Okay, next sponsor are om.com, om apparel. Speaking of sustainability and uh, reducing your waste, why not get yourself some nice clobber that you can wear on your mat or off your mat. So for example, I have the uh, the June Voyagers and uh, I can wear them teaching, but I can also wear them going out with the missus, going for dinner and uh, they, they look the part and they last. I've actually just made a big pile in my room now of all the clothes I need to throw away. Stuff, ch- cheap clothing, it doesn't work. You know yourself, it doesn't wash well. It's just, it's, a, it's a money down the drain and you're damaging the environment. So while you're on this earth, go to om.com 
forward slash hashtag TYLP. So that's O-H-M-M-E dot com forward slash hashtag TYLP, as in the Yoga Life podcast. Pick out your active wear, all eco-friendly, made from recycled fabrics, even their packaging. So I got my packages through the other day and they are all made from um, recycled paper. So go onto their website, om.com forward slash hashtag TYLP. Pick out your garms, whether they're on or off the mat. Put in their promo code Kevin to get 15% off. And they got their new springwear collection in, so you'll be ready. And uh, a lot of that stuff is good for the summer too. Last but most definitely not least, another local brand, 108 Asana Yoga Sikh Swing Cards by Yogaru. And when I say brand, I mean person. Because that's Ruth Delahunty. She has produced these beautiful cards that you can use for building your own home practice, improving your sequencing, and doing it simply but effectively. Another thing about the, the, this type of product is that it makes a great gift. So if you feel like you maybe have your cards already and you've got a birthday coming up, you want to get someone something for their, um, maybe they've just finished their 200 hour, their 300 hour, and you want to get them some a nice little gift, these look absolutely beautiful. Easy to post, easy to package, and uh, every time they practice, they'll think of you. Yeah. So in order to uh, avail of their promotion, you go to yogaru.ie, that's yoga, R-U, dot I-E, use the promo code Kevin for 10% off. So that's Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, I can't even spell my name, uh, for a special discount, 10% on yogaru.ie. So that's the lovely sponsors, and now I have my bit of housekeeping Retreat, sold out, boom, next. Uh, the uh, <laughs> God, I sound like an ass, don't I? And uh, the um, the workshop, 25th, handstand, heels overhead, my very clever name. Please don't steal it, anyone who hear, hears about it. Um, others won't be a friend ever again. Uh, that workshop is half full or half empty. Depends how you look at these things. But um, So there's some spaces left and uh, you don't need to handstand to come. If you can handstand, you don't need to come. But if you can't, come along. May 25th, why not, on a Saturday down in um, Castle Knock Yoga Hub. You can check out all those details on my website, Kevin Boy Yoga, uh, retreats and events, and fill out the form and I'll send you the little booking link so you can get yourself sorted. So that's it, that's my housekeeping, that's my sponsors. Now, last thing to do is tell you about the guest, the person you've been waiting to hear from, not listening to me going on. So David Cam, well David or Dave, as I call him, because I like to abbreviate people's names, even if I don't have permission. Um, stayed with me for two nights, and um, he, uh, yeah, what, a, what an absolute joy of a man. Just the most smiley, intelligent, easygoing, um, positive person you could hope to meet. He, um, My missus absolutely loved him as well, so... Yeah, it was great, man. I, you know, with, the, with this workshop that I went to, you'll hear me talk about it to Dave. I... Uh, I was I was real apprehensive because I'm kind of a bit awkward, you know. I'm an English guy and um, not really haven't done much dancing apart from when I was drunk when I was younger. And uh, I thought, you know, I need to challenge myself. I need to put myself out of my comfort zone, get a little bit silly, be able to bring out the inner the inner child that I've maybe lost and that that play um, that we all lose as adults. So hearing more about Dave and his. His experience is um, is more than meets the eye with David. He's, um, I mean, the guy is a qualified architect, but he 
he left that to do what he's doing now. And how he draws comparisons between the two fields is really fascinating. Uh, he's got a great story and he's an absolute pleasure to talk to. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's the main man, David Cam. Hey, David. Hello. <laughs> My voice is really croaky. It's normally not this croaky. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling? Good. Yeah, quite relaxed, actually, after yeah. this weekend. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, I'll get to some context to the people listening. Um, so we spent the whole weekend at your workshops and... Uh, yeah, it's been pretty physical and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of but it's been great because I, I, what I've noticed is what a massive realization that I had is that you get good at the things you practice. And mm -hmm. if you're so I'm so used to practicing in, in basically straight lines and and having some sort of guide as to how to move. But with your workshops, it was there was an element of a lot a big element of creativity so move in a way that uh, you're not used to and uh, that is re requires imagination now i have moved in a way that i have moved in unpredictable ways before when i've done team sports or jiu-jitsu uh martial arts where you're but in that circumstance you're reacting to somebody else and therefore you are being creative but you've got a stimulus you've got you know, uh, it's, it's you've, you're trying to um, counter what someone else is doing. But when it's just you and you've got to use your imagination, I found it um, really difficult. I really, like it was such a, it made me realize that how, how um, adult I've become, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've grown up, but I've um, I lost, I've kind of forgotten how to maybe improvise. And um, is, that, is that something you've heard before people saying about you? Yeah, for sure. I think most most of these students who uh, really respond to my my sharings always kind of come back to me with a slightly nostalgic tone of you know <laughs> it would be almost like oh thank you for bringing back that uh, child in me or like thank you for just not being so serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that's it really. I think because this is always sort of in, inherently within all of us and we just sort of forgot. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, in these uh, sports context, you have these stimulus and I'm hoping to be the stimulus, you know, mm -hmm. in my class, at least that's, that's what I see it as, mm -hmm. uh, to just sort of ease people into this place of play and imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's very hard, which is why, you know, it's still something that you need to be coaxing people into. Mm -hmm. And the thing is also how, uh, what was it? You were talking about how it's, it's really tricky <laughs> to uh, get there uh, in the beginning because it's quite, a, um, it's quite a big ask of reflecting upon yourself, mm -hmm. which I think is a space that you don't necessarily find in sports because like you said, it's so embedded in almost reflex if you think about it exactly you can't really think you just got to act <laughs> right, exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah so then uh what is so interesting to uh when we then put this in the context of a yoga class mm. is then you've got to consider you you almost have the gift of time to then be like okay what what do i actually want to do mm. is no longer a response to someone else but more um an acknowledgement of your desire mm. 
Mm. And as adults, we get scared when mm. we get confronted with this because we don't actually know what we want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and also yeah. for me, it was compounded for the fact that I um I am uh, a kind of. I- slightly awkward english white guy mm-hmm. just like i'm just not very i don't really dance unless i'd be drunk maybe mm-hmm. and i don't drink alcohol anymore <laughs> so i noticed a few people in the class like one of the girls she's a dancer and she was very comfortable moving in a mm-hmm. way that was um you know, I, i'm like in a quite uh and i suppose an effeminate way mm-hmm. like i'm not that in touch with my feminine side and i would like to be more so mm-hmm. and i think um that it's funny how if you if you if you like go to Russia for example, a Russian ballet dancer, male ballet dancer, mm-hmm. is almost treated like a Premiership footballer in England would be. You know, yes. they're considered to be great, not sportsmen, but to, uh, great athletes. Mm-hmm. But if when we were in school, um, dancing wasn't something that was encouraged. It, it wasn't. It wasn't even an option. It was like even in secondary school, drama, mm-hmm. dancing, singing wasn't something that was encouraged. Um, for the, for the lads really mm-hmm. which is such a shame because i really think that creativity i think well not just for your mental health mm-hmm. but also from a more practical point of view mm-hmm. automation is coming artificial i've worked in artificial intelligence it's coming mm-hmm. if you have a job that's transactional that that could be easy replicated mm-hmm. you, you it's only a matter of time before you get a place but creativity is something that is will always serve you in, in, in any field. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought, because I know we, 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 I mean, myself and David um, have basically been together the whole weekend. So, <laughs> um, and uh, we've, so we've talked a lot. And um, one thing you said that was quite interesting was, it's not, not necessarily the mode at which you're communicating. For, for example, now it's yoga, mm-hmm. but it's the, the mode is secondary almost, isn't it? The vehicle mm. is secondary. Mm. Could you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So um, just for more context as well, mm. my background, I'm from Malaysia, firstly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you guys don't know much about Malaysia, it's a very, very multicultural country and, um, you know, lots of different races and religions. And even when we speak on a daily basis, it's um, a mishmash of uh, languages. You know, at some point when I might speak to my friend in English and if I can't find the right word, I would swap on over to uh, a Chinese dialect and then to a Malay (laughs) little term, you know. And so I guess that's how my brain has always been wired a way where you know it really doesn't matter what it is and how it is that you like to communicate as long as um you 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 find a way yeah basically um and from that that's how and and knowing that i'm naturally uh quite an artistic person that's where my curiosity lies in i never had too much of a pressure of what it is that I choose to study. It was a big thing of like, oh, you know, where do I go? But um, what I know is that I want to go into creativity. Mm. So then what I went into is architecture. And from there, you know, I learned so much about uh, space in general before I then uh, went into a slight detour of dance and then I chose to do a master's a, in dance. A slight detour? That's yeah. a big detour, isn't it? Like, <laughs> Honestly, I think that's what uh, many people what, around what, on me... The, on the outside, it seems exactly. like... Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is such a valid point, you know, like, uh, it's like a, what, you know, like, 
what what do you mean by like you know being in the drawing room um, all the time and then prancing about, <laughs> you know? Um, but there's something about it that you know, although it felt disconnected, I I I felt the pull, you know. I felt a massive question mark of, huh? I'm intrigued. So I just followed that uh, gut feeling and mm. went there, and that was when I was like, wow, it really came full circle because um, when I was kind of exposed to the theoretical side of, of dance, specifically uh, this perspective, which is called the chorological perspective, um, it got me to understand that in the end, I'm still dealing with space. I am still designing space in a much more intimate scale, and this being within the scale of a body than the scale of a building. Mm. Uh, and what's very fascinating is that now I'm dealing with the factor of time a lot more sensitively, say, than uh, buildings because obviously you create something and you're really hoping that it wouldn't crumple on you. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, the power of movement is that is transient in nature. Mm. It constantly changes, which means my design brain inside me is going, oh my gosh, there's so many stimuli <laughs> you know, to, to work based upon. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really strengthened this um, thing inside me of how I'm I'm wired that you know these mediums are simply vehicles for me to realize what it is that I would like to express. Mm. And at one point, it was through illustrations, it was through uh, building designs, and right now my building is the the body, and you know, and that's what I see the vehicle as. And especially now that I ventured more into the realm of mindfulness, I'm taking away the aspect of performance in what I understand in movement mm. and applying it more into what I'm more passionate about, which is well-being. Like, how can this actually help bodies uh, that I see and minds beyond the professional context of, of dancing? Mm -hmm. How can I make this accessible? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Th there's, there's definitely... Uh, link. Oh, by the way, if you're chilly, feel free to put on your jacket. Because it's a bit chilly. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's good. So, <laughs> I mean, just to let you know. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Um, but so I'm going to generalize a little bit here, maybe stereotype. You're from an, you're, you're Asian, and you're from uh, you went to architecture school. And uh, we were speaking before. You were saying your parents uh, didn't have the opportunity to go to university. Mm -hmm. So when you went from studying architecture, going to England, which is, as you said to me before, like it's a uh, to go from Asia to England to study at a university is, um, is seen as a, like quite an achievement, you know. Um, d how did they feel about you leaving architecture pursuing dance? <laughs> um, well, I would have lied if I said that there were no resistance. <laughs> but this is what I'm so thankful for in my parents, where they always operate from a place of trust, mm. full support. Although you could see that there's a little bit of a disagreement in their minds, they would just say, you know, kind of, yeah, if that's what you really feel strongly in doing, uh, go for it, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, it's your life in the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm super grateful for that. But uh, I also gave myself a bit of a, like a, a, a role, not really a role, but sort of a condition, I, I guess, because when you graduate from the uh, part one of architecture, you have sort of a two years allowance uh, to basically do a work placement before you then go back for the master's equivalent, which is uh, your part two. Mm. Um, and so I took out 
the first year as a gap year just to test the waters and see if dancing is really what I want to do or if it's just a fleeting hobby. Uh, and that was when I told my parents and they were so kind to have funded my gap year mm-hmm. because it's technically a diploma still. So it's still education, not just me spending the whole year going to random dance classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I gave myself this condition that, okay, now that I know I really, really enjoy dancing and I'd love to pursue it professionally, I will try and audition for the master's programs that offer scholarships. And uh, only if I were to get in, I would continue it because that way my parents do not have to fund something they may not have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as much su- support in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, that way it also empowers me to realize that actually I, I can do this, you know, mm-hmm. then to kind of push through something that may not be the, the best idea, especially when you're, you know, just by that graduating age when people are already starting to become so competitive with, you know, the, the field that they're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, thankfully I got in and uh, started this master's in performance, which was probably one of the most uh, incredible years of my life because I think that year has opened my eye so much in who I am, firstly, and secondly, uh and how powerful movement can be. That's actually the same year I started my yoga teacher training. Mm-hmm. And so it all just came into integration quite seamlessly. Mm. When, yeah. when, when you talk about, um, you mentioned something really interesting yesterday about mm. making, well, not actually yesterday, it was, the first, it was a Friday, the first time we met, you said about earthquake proof in the body. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? So uh, in architecture, I've learned about <laughs> Uh, earthquake architecture, which is basically things that you do from a design perspective to prepare a building uh, to withstand earthquakes. So essentially, um, from a building point of view, it's sliding elements to your your building. And I just started thinking about this uh, in, in the perspective of the body, because we are moving bodies, we are designed to, to move. And the only constant we know is change. And, you know, we hear this all the time. And if you think about change as instability, essentially, mm-hmm. earthquake, <laughs> like how can we allow ourselves to condition our body towards that means? And I have to uh, admit that this is not uh, a term that uh, I thought of on my own for sure. Like, yes, it, it came from architecture, but I, I'm i not too sure who the first person who sort of uh, consider how we can apply this to the body, but who I've been prompted by in the movement uh, field is these guys called Fighting Monkey. And uh, they are, um, I think they are like a, a dance company who are now also offering m- movement-based sessions. Mm. And uh, I have not done any sessions with them yet, but I've heard many comparisons from feedback from students and teachers who attend my classes. Are they in the, uh, are they in the UK, are they? In London? They are not. They're based in Europe. I don't know where exactly. Oh. Although, this year for my birthday, I've given myself a treat to go visit them <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> for a weekend of immersion. So I am really excited. So hopefully, next time, I would be able to tell you more. <laughs> but they are the ones who uh, sort of put it in the light of, you know, how can we see this in the, the body's context? And just, I guess, from that prompt, it really got me thinking. Mm. And so, uh, like I said in the workshops this past weekend, my 
focus in uh, what I share with my students are less so like you know it's it's founded in mobility founded in creating space in the body and the mind but most importantly I want to cultivate a responsive body a responsive mind where you know it's not my expectation to uh, see my students following me after 10 years <laughs> if it is it's just a bit of a bonus that they want to come and hang out with me <laughs> but that these students after like you know a reasonably uh, substantial period of time with me they would then have the confidence to just move on their own based on their own creative agency or just from that place of curiosity mm -hmm. we know a lot more than we do you know the the thing that i said about how if you wake up in the morning and you naturally yawn you naturally find that stretch in your body you don't have a yoga teacher by your bedside going, mm -hmm. do this. You know what pleasure feels to you. In mm -hmm. fact, more so than any teachers in the room because we can only speak from our experience. Mm -hmm. And what we can share are sort of reflections as if we were mirrors uh, in a sense. And it's down to the students to then take the responsibility to find out if that is applicable to you or not. Mm. Um, yeah, so responsiveness mm. i'd say which which makes complete sense because mm. um life is unpredictable and exactly you, you don't know what variables are going to be thrown your way mm -hmm. and um you can't always move in the same planes uh, um i want to ask you about your your yoga practice because mm. the, we mentioned um we were just before we hit record you're talking about singing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so if someone says to you uh like do you practice yoga what would be your response uh <laughs> i i will sort of respond the way with, i've been saying it to the students so um <laughs> i will share with them what i see yoga as yeah and for me yoga is this idea of shedding light in places that you lack awareness so how singing came in for me is because uh from my background uh, I, I I know my body from, you know, training and dance and all of that. And I feel like that's something now, especially with my teacher training and all of the experiences that I've culminated through these past few years, I have my own agency to find out what it is that I need for my body. Mm. But in terms of lead classes, what I really lack awareness in is my voice. Um, and it comes from many angles. On a personal level, it's the fear of confrontation, uh, and from a technical level, it's down to now that I'm busy teaching, how do I sustain my voice? <laughs> you know, like when you're talking all the time and uh, especially when you're teaching big groups, you know, in festival settings, you do have your microphone, but that's only so much it could do. You still will need to project. So is there a way I can sustainably uh, kind of maintain the, the quality of my voice? And in fact, you know, like for a yoga teacher, in my opinion, to have injuries in your body is less impactful as not being able to speak, <laughs> you know? Like if you have a, a flu or, you know, that's when teachers really go, I cannot teach, <laughs> you know? But, you know, mm. I, you know, you see teachers around where they might still be dealing with sprains or anything, but they could technically still teach because they could really sit on a chair mm -hmm. and just operate from their voice. Yeah, that's actually a a kind of um, a side product or a, 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 an unrealized benefit of having a podcast is that 
when I listen back and I'm trying to edit, not when I say edit, I don't mean cut stuff out. I mean, uh, when I'm listening to the sound, sound checking it after the recording, I listen to how I speak. Mm. And I realize that how, I, to me, voice is fascinating. I, I think uh, that if you're a teacher, you're a professional speaker. Well, more accurately, you're Absolutely. a professional communicator. And it's important to be aware of your economy of words, your tone, your pitch, certain words you rely on that aren't useful, even how you speak about yourself. For example, I've noticed with myself, if someone pays me a compliment, I'll downplay it straight away. Yeah. I'll say, <laughs> I'll try to just balance it. Um, but at the, but weirdly enough, at the same time, because I notice when I'm talking to people, I hear myself back, I, I do that a lot. But at the same time, when I'm on my own, and I'm because I spend a lot of time on my own. I think what we all do as freelancers. You, uh, I say stuff to to to. I almost give myself pep talks in my head. Like, <laughs> like go on, Kev, you can do it. You know, it's just, but it's funny how um, we we don't really think about our voice. And in fact, you've probably heard this before. It often is someone like hears them their own voice. They're like, oh, I can't hear my own voice. Mm-hmm. They they they're like, oh, do I sound like that? Mm-hmm. Is that what I really sound like? And it's it's shocking that people are so, uh, they they find it hard to be at peace with how they sound. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> you know? It really is true. And I think you know what you said about economy of words. That's when it becomes very powerful. You know, like personally, I don't uh, journal, and that's because of my personal. Um, Sort of, you know, back in childhood, I was drilled to write my alphabets in very specific ways. <laughs> and so now, if I do keep a diary, it almost is counterproductive because I'm too bogged down by the perfection of my words. Mm. And maybe from architecture as well, you know, like my words would have to be perfectly mm-hmm. written. Any squiggly line, I'm like, oh, I can't. So there's already this layer of filter before I then share my thoughts. So what initially got me into uh, looking into voice as somewhere that I'm not um, as aware of as part of my yoga practice, I started verbal diaries uh, where I, you know, whenever I feel there's a heightened emotion in me, I would take out my iPhone and press record. And I would just blab out, you know, with no filter and I, I don't even plan what I say. And then I would stop the recording when I feel like I'm done. And it's my choice if I want to listen back to it or not. Mm-hmm. But even just verbalizing it already helps you like land some thoughts that you have in your, mm-hmm. in your head and your mind. And this is where it gets very interesting because, you know, like if we talk about really what, what yoga is, for me, it's also a space for you to process that space of contemplation reflection Mm -hmm. and as we all know we are learners uh, by many different means I'm personally a visual kinesthetic learner Uh, you get you know people who you know especially these guys who enjoy a podcast are probably auditory learners and uh, you get so many other kinds of uh, learning in a sense and uh, you know when um, when I share movement I just suddenly realize that I'm sort of only tailoring it to one kind of learner and how how can I make my classes uh, abundant, you know, Mm -hmm. with sources of inspiration for people to um, bounce back from in their Mm -hmm. personal pursuit of education in their own bodies and Mm -hmm. minds. Um, And so 
power of words when you learn how impactful your words are and get rid of unnecessary ones enjoying the power of silence <laughs> that's you know massive you know and you know like you said all, all of these inner chatters that we have when we speak to people uh, what what my pattern is is if I'm scared if I'm a little bit jittery uh, especially in the class setting I will talk a lot like the first 10 minutes maybe it'll be like how many is David <laughs> and it just goes on and th- that's just my, my pattern and then it would be down to me catching it like huh like, really, I'm not serving the students because they probably have missed 90% of what I've said, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so then getting that awareness back. Yeah, and knowing when to allow there to be silence and being comfortable in that silence. Mm-hmm. But but even saying things like uh, when I did the teacher training with uh, Adam Husler, he's saying how you should say, okay, everybody take a break. Uh, and then maybe, and then later on he'll say, like, maybe if you don't don't want to use the brick, you can put it to one side. Instead of take a brick if you need a brick mm-hmm. at the start, then everyone's like, then they think, if I need a brick, I've already failed. Mm-hmm. And typically the people that take the brick, like if it was for Hannah Manasna, mm-hmm. people that need the brick are um, the ones that aren't as flexible. And already they feel down on themselves because mm-hmm. they're not very flexible. And then you're saying, oh, if you need a brick. But that's simple thought process of saying everybody take a brick mm-hmm. and then if you feel like you don't want it not need it want it put it to one side and I, I, I like that i actually think that type of um, methodical approach to teaching is what takes someone to another level mm-hmm. uh, and to constantly re- refine that um actually i wanted to touch on something um that you, mm-hmm. you mentioned about shedding light on our darkest yeah. p- parts um and you said something today in the workshop which i really liked and that was it was in the context of pressing into handstands and it was that people that wobble fall over make mistakes shake they're the ones that are willing to be a fool or fool in inverted commas Mm. or to in order to learn Mm -hmm. and uh and the ones that or sometimes we find ourselves not wanting to do that and that we don't go to those places that we feel uncomfortable and therefore we just reinforce our ego i i think that is um that is so that's that is so important isn't it that's that's your kind of that's your yoga really because i i have a for, for example i teach handstand workshops and today in your class i was trying things that i haven't tried before mm. um even though i knew there was maybe people around me that are like oh he can't do it and he's he teaches handstands but he can't but i is that was that point i was like am i going to be a hypocrite and just do what i'm good at like jump up into handstand or am i going to try something when i know people around me may be going oh he can't actually look at kevin he's supposed to be about the handstand um but that that really is um the challenge and speaking of darkest parts Mm. i'm I'm seeming all putting it all together here david um martial arts yeah We've talked about that you're, you're maybe interested in doing this, but mm. you have maybe a bit of resistance t- mm-hmm. to martial arts. What's what's uh, what darkness does it present to you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess because I'm a bit of a nomad and a bit of a loner. <laughs> like I'm, I'm quite an individualistic person. Where um, uh, I think what is rooted in is my fear of letting go of control, 
which is why initially I'm very fearful of handstands too. I'm very fearful of going upside down, mm. and I guess that was my stage one in the sense of let's conquer that, mm-hmm. but still within my own terms. But what martial arts uh, have become appealing lately is the fact that it is highly based on responsiveness. So. I have to let go, and it's really, it really doesn't matter how good I am with my body. I have to take into account someone else. Mm. And historically, you know, back when I was a kid, I'm ne- I'm never really that good with any sports uh, because of the nature of how it is. You know, like football or basketball, whatsoever. When there's a partner that's uh, involved, uh, I I lose that. Maybe because I feel like I cannot predict. Uh, what's going to happen? There's too many permutations of possibilities that mm-hmm. are out there, and that freaks me out. Um, which is more the reason why I'm like, uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, and it's still really like you know, I still face the same thing of like being so anxious of going to things, but in the end, you know, I just remind myself that you know, like remember when you were a kid and you you just don't know. Anything? Where do we get that confidence?、Mm. I really don't know. You know, like where?、Mm. It's just because we just keep seeing possibilities. You know, we won't say no to yet as much, and so we were just like, okay, why, 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 why?、Mm. And you just go from that place. Do Do you feel、mm. any any fear of a bit getting hurt? Uh. And it would be it would be rational if you did. I think. Yeah. I mean. Rationally speaking, yes, I'm sure there's an extent of fear for that, but I don't think it's the biggest driving force of fear in、mm. in this case. I really think it's the the whole like oh, like you know, if I were to compare fear, let's say, I would probably be even more fearful of looking like a fool than being physically injured. Yeah, if that makes sense. But I still don't think that was、uh, that would have been the source. It's really just this idea of letting go. And one thing I actually haven't mentioned to you, but、uh, like some students who stayed behind was,、um, I'm hydrophobic. You see the pattern there. <laughs> you're you're hy- hydrophobic. Yeah. You're scared of water. Yeah, like as in I can shower and stuff, but like,、um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know when I get into swimming, not my favorite thing.、Uh, so, if I do swim now, which I I try my best, I don't do it. Often at all, just because of time. But if I do, I will still have to give myself about five laps of swimming, focused on breath work, <laughs> so that I don't go <gasps> and freak out. What what caused that hydro hydrophobia? I don't know. I think again, lack of control. You know, when you feel that your legs are not touching anything. Because、mm. if I'm in a like you know sort of a very shallow pool, I'm fine. You know, but、um, yeah, when I cannot touch something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, you know what is now my impetus is that look, I cannot handstand, you know. So let's now try it again and see what I can find.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I love about、uh, yoga in a sense、mm-hmm. where、uh, it's just put back into a much safer context in terms of you know physical practice in a yoga class.、Mm-hmm. You're put back into a very metaphorical way of dealing with. Your insecurities、mm. within that space, you know, and there's many things. There's always a pattern, like you've now heard, you know, from what I say. If you think about it, they're all a pattern of being afraid to lose control.、Mm. And now I have sort of found it in my hands because it's again the same thing, maybe upside down, but I am not 
touching anything with my feet. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's why I'm I'm like quite passionate about um, helping people identify these patterns and resistance that they have on the mat, or mm. you know, and so then they can sort of translate that beyond their mat practice and mm. going, huh, like where is this coming in other aspects of my life? Mm. Yeah, I, I think, I think, um, like I was talking to you earlier about how I'm going to start doing dance classes with my girlfriend. Yeah. And, mm. oh my God, I'm just seeing the video of it today, like they had on their website, and I thought, Jesus Christ, it, it makes me shudder looking at it. People, <laughs> yeah, just like, I, I, I'm, I'm just, because it makes me feel pretty uncomfortable, and I'm, I'm wondering why. I'm actually thinking of, going, I, I've never told anyone this, I don't think, but I'm thinking of going to see a hypnotherapist. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, but I don't... Do you think... Um, have you ever seen a hypnotherapist? I haven't, but I, I love um, the idea of therapy in general. And I'm actually intrigued by uh, psychotherapy. Yeah. <laughs> how, I mean, so the reason why I think of this is because I was listening to a podcast with Stephen Fry. And he is... He says he can't dance, but he had to do a sketch on TV. This is back in... The, early 90s or late 80s with Hugh Laurie do you know Hugh Laurie the guy mm -hmm. from House and in this in the comedy scene um, Hugh Laurie says um, uh, hit it bitch <laughs> <laughs> and Stephen Fry starts dancing um, and he, Stephen Fry was like listen I can't dance I actually I'm, I have a phobia against it I mean Stephen mm -hmm. Fry can do everything but singing dancing he's quite he's like an awkward English guy mm -hmm. and um, and he went to a hypnotherapist mm -hmm. one session and this hypnotherapist was said, like, uh, why are you fr uh, frightened of, um, I don't know if I'm doing his accent. <laughs> it's like it's like the count from count for uh, one, uh, uh, two. Uh. And he's like, why are you scared of um, dancing? And he, he went all back into his childhood, how something happened in his childhood where he was on stage and he had to dance and people laughed and that was it. But then the hypnotherapist said, put him into a deep, deep trance and said, what is the cue that you're waiting for? And he says, hit it bitch. So he said, when you hear the words, hit it bitch, you will dance. Like you've never danced before. And um, and then when it came to it, Hugh Laurie um, said on the night, he said, listen, I'm gonna I'm not gonna say the bitch thing because it's a bit rude for TV. And he says, no, you have to say it. <laughs> and he, he said, he said, hit it bitch. And he like, he said, he just danced. He said he was in, in a trance and he, and, and I, I'm a bit reluctant about hypnotherapy because um, I just don't, I just, I, I can't understand how it works, but if it would help me get over the fear of dancing while sober, to me, it'd be worth it. Um, Absolutely. Uh, why not? You know? <laughs> Who knows what potential I could have? Nothing to lose, you know, <laughs> okay. next world's greatest dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, have you found, though, like with teaching dance, that um, have you seen any transformations with people that uh, have been like, oh, yeah, I can't do this at all, and then have these breakthroughs? Absolutely, but not when teaching dance and more teaching yoga. Uh -huh. uh, because, again, I'm taking away the need to feel like you're performing so uh -huh. essentially you know within you know i always say uh in confession and uh yeah you know just basically as a yoga teacher sometimes i do have that hit of like a oh i feel like a con man teaching dance under the disguise of yoga <laughs> <laughs> but then when i think about it you know it's uh yes i'm bringing a lot of influences from dance into what i share uh as what 
I, I see as my yoga practice and my yoga offering as a teacher. But the biggest uh, element of difference is that it's operated from that place of desire than a place of performance. Mm. And when you do that, people lose that layer of inhibition of needing to prove something to someone else mm -hmm. and really going deep within themselves. So then it, it becomes a sustainable practice and that then benchmarks are gone. There's no more like what is a good dancer, what is a bad dancer, a good or bad mover. And it's more, you know, how, however curious you are and you just go there, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's probably... Sort of, yeah, thinking about it is that hypnotherapy session thing that you were saying, you know, he was brought into his deep subconscious mm -hmm. uh, and then through that, this magical thing of the hypnotherapist sort of, I guess, recalibrating his brain to yeah. give himself that permission exactly <laughs> to free up again because the fact that he then went on to a trance, you know, on a physical level, he is definitely capable for it so where is that wall it's all in the mind mm. and so it's again you know us not permitting ourselves to behave like that mm. these little like barriers because well, when i was could, and the, the wall is exactly the i know what my wall is because mm -hmm. when i when i was younger i remember people say and i'm not i'm not bigging myself up here but they're like you're people go you're a good dancer and i'm like yeah i know <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty good dancer you know um but i was be drunk um as would everyone else and then i when i was i used to do a little bit of break dance as well like whenever i go to a wedding people say like do your break dancing, Kev. Yeah. And, I, you know, and like I do my my little party tricks, and um, but then it, it, the wall is the alcohol basically mm -hmm. because I don't drink alcohol anymore, mm -hmm. and I um, I so it, it is there's a part of my brain that's kind of not being used, maybe my create my creativity, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I think I might I might explore that. But I remember the I remember when I first started doing yoga. You, you, it's funny how you forget certain things, don't you? It's almost like you, sh you shut off parts of your life yeah. that either don't serve you or that have hurt you or that um, you're embarrassed about or whatever. But I remember mm. when I first started doing yoga, I used to walk into the hot yoga cl class and I would stand on my mat when everyone was cross-legged sitting down and lying down. I'd just stand, <laughs> stand there like, you know, stretching out my quads and just being like as if I'm about to play a game of football. <laughs> and, and if I seen someone do that now, I, I would look probably, probably look quite aggressive maybe because I'm there like as if I'm about to do a boot camp or something. I was like that for a, a good few months mm. and I felt so awkward doing, what were the things that made me feel very awkward? What kind of poses? Um, Anything with like my legs open, I felt very awkward. Well, I mean, downward dog, I felt so awkward doing that. Mm. But isn't it funny? The more you just do it, you just, oh, this is just normal now. So yeah, um, I'm hoping that's what dance classes give me as well. <laughs> Absolutely, because, um, you know, like there's so much research going on about the plasticity of the brain. And this is precisely that where, you know, we are built to adapt. And mm. we need to trust that as much as we can mm -hmm. and give give it the, the, the time uh, and not deny ourselves uh, of the possibilities yet. And this could be, you know, if I were to put it in a very layman term, uh, a very big question amongst yoga teachers that I, I interact with in, in London and um, they have this conflict of interest in, in their own mind where they're sharing their workshops 
um, and they are like, oh, I I feel bad to promote my my workshop because you know what what am I? I'm sharing yoga and I'm not a marketeer or something. And then I flipped it on their head and I just went, okay, but if you are not promoting it, you are also not allowing your students to find out about it. And that's sort of you creating your own wall, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you have controlled their decision. Mm-hmm. But if you put it out there, they decide if they want to come or not. Mm-hmm. But if you just don't say anything, you have said no on their behalf. Mm. And it's that you know, if you're on your mat and say if you want to try a handstand or really any posture or whatever, and if you just not even like. Give your mind a possibility of like, let me just give this a go. Mm-hmm. There's there's really no way you you would expect to get up, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you know, however awkward a downward facing dog might be for you in the beginning, like you said, now it's becoming more comfortable. Exactly the same with taking risks and and going to um you know places where you think your ego might be compromised mm-hmm. or you know this this fear of like oh you know I'm gonna feel shame or you know all of that mm-hmm. you get used to it mm-hmm. and then it doesn't affect you as much yeah absolutely. because you know what I said about the inversion workshop today um, when I first um, tried to look into my fear of going upside down I thought by the end when I have become comfortable upside down I would have not have that fear anymore but now that I'm comfortable upside down I still have the fear on a daily basis but I have found a way to deal with it Mm. so that it's just a passing thing Mm -hmm. than something that cripples me and Mm -hmm. stops me from progression yeah Um, talking about brain plasticity and and the and play Hmm. You mentioned you, t- you mentioned um, something about a, a study and uh, in the workshop and about repetitions and how yes. play. Uh, so, can you expand on that? Like, how important play is for us as adults? Yeah. So, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe so it's. Uh, I think it's Dr. Karen Purvis, and she says uh, that again. You know, oh, we're going to have to look at that quote, but it's something like uh, it takes. Um, 300 to 400 repetitions of mm-hmm. uh, of a movement or something to create a new synapse in the brain, which means mm-hmm. to create a new pathway, a pattern in the brain. Unless if you do it through play, you mm-hmm. only need about 15 to 20 repetitions. Mm-hmm. That's where it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. again, if you think about um, back in school, when you study a subject that you are interested in, mm-hmm. it reflects on your grades. <laughs> you just, you know really ace it out mm-hmm. whereas the things that you're just not uh kind of keen about you you your grade again would probably be not as impressive mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. one that you're interested in mm-hmm. and it shows if you are going to go into that place of curiosity you're naturally responsive mm-hmm. because again you're you're um you're anticipating it. You're like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, I want to learn more. That's a hunger. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, this is bore. This is labor. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, if you think about it, children, when they, their children's work is play. And this is why they're always so enthusiastic and playful. But adults' work has now become work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe that's where they've lost it. So mm-hmm. if adults do view their work as play, can we then maybe find a little bit of that inner child back? Because again, the brain is plastic. You have been there before. Can we slowly guide ourselves back there? Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Alan Watts has a brilliant quote. He says, "Figure out a way to get you get you can get paid to play." <laughs> Basically, and, 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 and Alan Watts, um, you know, he's a master of, of words and poetry. But he talked about how he can't do accounts, for example. You know, mm-hmm. um, some things that you're just your mind is not geared towards, and you should the things that you enjoy, you will excel at. Um, it's it's. I lived in Korea for two years, and in Korea. Uh, they have a fantastic education in terms of their results English mathematics are some of the highest in the world if not the highest but their kids spend an insane amount of time at school I mean actually they have these things called damn it what are they called they're these night schools where Mm. kids will stay up studying till 2am 3am and they would actually have people patrolling the streets uh, special security guards to find these I wish I could remember the actual Korean word for it, but to find these little schools, if they see a light on at, on the second floor of a building, they'll go up and shut it down. Like, stop studying. It's, it's gone 12 o'clock. Yeah. So it's, so yeah. It, in England or in Western culture, it's like you're trying to encourage kids to study, whereas in Korea, they're trying to say enough, you know, this is not good for your health. Yeah. But So that's how much they study. But it, I think it's the Finnish in Finland, their primary system has an ed- education system where they teach kids through, for example, if they're teaching, um, what's the study of shapes? Geometry? No, that's, uh, anyway. Know, that's within math, no? Yeah, if you're studying shapes, um, oh, is, is it geometry? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's when you study, when you study um, earth and stone? Anyway, but if they... geography. No, um, but yeah, so (laughs) if they're studying like shapes, for example, we'll just go at that. They'll actually take the kids to the forest and Mm. say, this acorn, what shape is it? This uh, this leaf, what shape is it? And they spend way less time in school, but yet they're they're right neck neck and neck with Korea in terms Mm -hmm. of results. I think they do four hours a day in school to finish. Uh, And the same with the Swedish have now, I believe they're working towards a four day work week Mm -hmm. instead of a five day work week. So it's like you said, if they are engaged, it's done in a playful way, the the information will stick. Exactly. Then then if you're looking at the same sheet over and over again mm-hmm. and it's not interactive. Yeah. Um that's that's an interesting one about like as well, like it's the school systems, you know, and how yeah. what, what's it like I mean, obviously you went to school in Malaysia. What's mm-hmm. the school system like in Malaysia? You studied I mean you went you did well in your schooling, so uh. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a conventional, diligent student, if you were to put it in that way, as in, like, you know, uh, in terms of academics, you know, mm-hmm. I I like reading. I'm I'm just, you know, an unapologetic nerd. <laughs> uh, love it, you know, so it wasn't, grades weren't my uh, weak point. They, they come naturally. Mm. I have an aptitude for them, but I'm not street smart. <laughs> so that's the big, like... Like, you know, I, I could tell you all the, the facts whatsoever that's on the book, but you put me out of the context of a classroom. I'm like, uh, I, I, I couldn't connect the dots mm. at that point. So that's what education in the UK gifted me, especially in architecture, because um, you, you have just got to think out of the, the box. Mm. Um, and maybe that's why I was craving for a, a creative degree, because, um, you know, back in Malaysia, what is treasured is that conventional academic brain. Yeah. You know, we have that idealistic trajectory of, I want my kid to be a doctor, and, you know, that mm. that sort of uh, route. Um, 
and I guess because I've just been put in that position all the time, uh, it simply made my craving for creativity even stronger. Mm-hmm. But it almost came back to me in a full roundabout way, where because of what I have studied in the UK, which are in both fields, creative dance and architecture. I've allowed myself to really contextualize what I've learned from an intellectual perspective mm-hmm. down to um, a, a practical sense of how you you apply it. You know, mm. like if I were to be that kid, you know, uh, in the jungle with the Finnish guys, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what an acorn's shape is. You mm-hmm. know, if I were to really exaggerate it. Mm-hmm. And so, what it boils down to is efficiency. You know, like mm-hmm. you will see that these two guys, these. Uh, Korean guys and the Finnish guys, different means but similar grades. Mm. Who got there more efficiently? The Finnish guys because mm. they don't study till nighttime. Mm-hmm. So that like how so closely linked creativity is to efficiency. Mm. When when you you talked about how like um, you weren't street smart necessarily growing up. When you but when you went to the UK, what, what yeah. did you learn? Was it a bit of a culture shock in that respect? Oh my gosh, for sure. Yeah, and so many. Well, culture shock is one thing, and then coming out of my bubble of pamperedness <laughs> is a whole other thing. Because I haven't even broken an egg, you know. Like it was like didn't know how to cook. Um, I do not know how to orientate myself. I think that was the biggest struggle for me, mm. um, and especially because I'm in, in a freaking architecture degree. <laughs> and I was like, "What? You can't orientate yourself. You can't even really read maps." <laughs> really took a hit to my ego, you know. <laughs> but so I think it took me a good half a year to uh, get rid of that rigidity uh-huh. uh, in in terms of orienteering, because um, I I stuck so hard to this book smart me mm. that I would just go that same route. From my home, like from my accommodation to my faculty building, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and un- until half a year, where these guys, my my peers, mm. have now, uh, you know, probably even like people a year below me, spending like two months just, and they have found all the different routes there, mm. and they're like, why are you taking such a long route there? And I'm like, mm. oh, I was just stuck in my way, mm. so that was the hardest thing for me to let go. Although for cooking, I sort of took it in a very somehow a very different attitude i just went okay you know like whatever i fancy eating i'll figure it out just went no recipes needed just sort of did my own mishmash of what like you know i can't cook any malaysian food at that point it was just like whatever i see in my fridge (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna cook yeah and and it always turned out fine and even my mom when i went back i was like wow, like, I'm impressed with what you came up with. (laughs) You know, the fact that you couldn't even break an egg, you know? (laughs) I just sort of was curious in a way that I wasn't curious Mm. when I was orienteering myself. Yeah. Um, Then again, it's because it's a little bit more controlled. Um, Where, I mean, I guess in the worst case, you know, when you, like, cook a disaster, you throw it away. Mm. But then maybe there's something in me about like, you know, getting lost in the city and like, how do I go back? And, yeah. you know, it's this whole like other level of fear, maybe. Yeah. Do, you, yeah. do, do you see yourself staying in London for the long, the long while? Mm, I love London, but <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I, I think again, you know, just being in Malaysia and uh, this whole 
idea of integration and and variety and changes all the time mm. does give me this big question about home and mm. with what the context of how I've come here as well and now that I've been in the UK for 10 years almost uh, I'm, I'm really questioning like what where is home for me you know family is one thing but like where really is home and at this point, truthfully, London feels more like home than Ma mm. Malaysia. But there's still something amiss. And I think that's uh, mainly because I, I love my greens. I love peace and quiet. And London is just a little bit too hustly-bustly for me. Uh, I like the, the drive sometimes that I get from it. But I see myself living somewhere a little bit more remote and maybe have the option to come and visit. Mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, you still get the same drive, but you're just a little bit calmer in your nervous system mm -hmm. because I fully believe in ripples of, of energy. And this is why, you know, just having been here this past week and in Ireland in general, I've been in Sligo and in Dublin, people are just quite chilled here. And mm -hmm. however strung up I am, or however strong I feel at the particular moment, I just could not help but feel relaxed mm. and I was just saying to you that my my laptop is quite literally fried and if I were to have faced that in London I probably would have been in a meltdown <laughs> but because it happened here I'm just sort of like okay it's mm. fine and, and I've been off my laptop for three four days that's pretty much unheard of <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah I, I really feel you know it's, it's such a, a big factor in uh the way your headspace mm. is wired where you live. Completely. I mean, I'm from London, and uh, as you noticed today in Yoga Hub, mm. you, you bump into people you know all the time. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, when the people I was chatting to today, for example, in Yoga Hub, I don't know them from Yoga Hub. I know them from different walks, like mm. they live near me. The thing about Dublin is you can walk around and actually bump into people you know. And for your mind, uh, I mean, supposedly for your your mental health, it's you can only know like a hundred people. Mm -hmm. After that, it's impossible to know that many yeah. people intimately as a community. And there's something to be said for bumping into people you recognise. How you been? Having that conversation. Uh, that my sister said it this brilliantly once. She said, "In London, you're never alone, but you can feel very alone." You know, and uh, that, I think that's. And I'm not dissing. I like I like London. London is fun. But um, and and this goes to any city. I mean, you can't have a, millions of people in one place and expect mm. to have a, a community. It's just not. Um, and it's like it has its good points, as you mm. said. It drives you. There's loads of opportunity. But to um, to recognise, I think you said before, you said yesterday that once a month you like to get out and you know go mm. and um, so. So move to Dublin, David. Let's <laughs> stop all this faffing I around. I would seriously consider that. There you go. But, you know, I think that is one of the reasons why I'm quite grateful to London for because I feel it has gifted me my voice as a, as a yoga teacher mm. because I got into yoga as a thing that I do with my mum. And, you know, again, you know, being a very self-processed mama's boy, um, I when I found out that I was going to go to the UK to further my study, I, I just couldn't help but think about, oh, gosh, I'm really going to miss you, mom. Like, let's, let's do something together. There was just this massive yoga billboard outside our home, and I thought, okay, yeah, let's 
try that, you know? Went there and then that's become our thing, you know? When mm. I left to the UK and we Skype every week, we'll be like, oh, I've just been practicing, you know, how are you and all that. And it's mm. always been the, the anchor of what keeps our connection so special. Uh, and that's what I really want to bring in my, my classes. Uh, when I saw in London, you know, what you said about this feeling of loneliness, although it's so packed with people, it's mm. almost ironic. How how can I provide a space for people to feel like they are seen and to feel like they can connect? Mm. I like to think about my classes as a social space as well, you know, because otherwise, why, why come? Just... You know, if you are so into the introspective part of yoga, you practice at home, <laughs> you know. But that's a reason why people are like, uh, I want to go to class. And so for me, I've done my job if I have allowed everyone to feel seen, not necessarily by me, mm. but by the, their peers, by mm. the fellow yogis in, in, in class. I quite like to start or end my class by inviting everyone to extend their gaze to one another mm -hmm. so that they can really appreciate the community because that way you soften the space as well. Because if you think about it, I'm seeing more and more within cities, uh, wherever I travel to, when I do step into a class as a yogi, like as a student and not a teacher, it just looks like another version of the London Tube, mm. you know, where their mat is their personal space and when someone else steps on your mat it's almost like a why are you here <laughs> and why you know mm. and you know when we talk about yoga as connection and integration it's not just connecting within to yourself but then bringing that out mm. towards others that's I feel the only way you can then enhance the quality of your life because what's the point of having such a uh, such such wisdom in your own mind and and openness in your body when you can't share that with anyone mm, mm, yes. <laughs> you know it's it's true uh, there's um uh, oh god i was this fascinating podcast the other day mm. talking about how we you know if, if someone wants to like learn how to breastfeed their child they won't consult the next door neighbor who's a grandmother who's had how many kids and how many grandkids they'll hire a lactation consultant instead yeah. you know <laughs> uh, uh, and um and because and it's more so that we fear connection what it was which is a brilliant point the guy made i wish i could remember his name he said we don't fear connection we fear needing someone so yes. that where that we 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 don't want to feel like someone is depending upon us mm -hmm. um and uh and then ironically we'll watch tv or the, or the YouTube, whatever, and watch an imitation of of relationships, mm -hmm. like Friends. Yeah. I watch it. You, know, <laughs> you watch a TV show called Friends because you wish you lived in a house with six other people mm -hmm. all around your age, different sexes, mm -hmm. and you know you wish you had that, but yet you don't want the hassle of living with housemates because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like we we we. And I thought that was so interesting that when, you know, the high eye contact thing, which was yesterday, I mm. found that very difficult because mm -hmm. I remember my 300 hour, we did that as well. And um, I mentioned this before actually on my podcast, but I was looking, the girl I was looking at, she had piercing blue eyes like my dad. And uh, I remember thinking, I have never looked at my dad like this. And I started mm -hmm. crying and uh, I, I don't really cry because 
I'm a murderer. <laughs> you know, you know, just like, I'm just conditioned not to cry, as it were. And um, eye contact is such a powerful thing because it can mean two things, really. Intimacy or aggression. <laughs> like when I used to get to compete in jiu-jitsu, you go pair up, you know, the referee would put you with some another guy and you look at each other mm. and you have that look and it's, yeah, it, it can be quite intense, you know, it really can. Uh, equally, equally, if you love somebody, you'll look in their eyes like, um, you know, like you love them. <laughs> yeah, there are really such windows to uh, depth. <laughs> and I think that's why mm. we get scared because it's almost yeah. like, oh, you can see all of my dirty laundry, you know, yeah, like yeah. From, from just like seeing. Mm. Um, and maybe because of the reflective quality of our eyes as well. Because if you look deeply, you can see yourself. <laughs> oh, you God. know, oh God, I'm going so metaphorical here. <laughs> yeah, no, <it's> <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's something about uh, the eyes that speaks so much, you know, and mm. um, like even now looking at you, you know, with this setup of a podcast, I don't know what you're doing with your, your lips or with your nose or whatever, but just through the eyes, mm-hmm. I could sort of gauge, you know, like how you are and all that. And that that's powerful. Mm. That's so powerful. Mm, it really is. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, David, I've got to take you to the airport now. So, <laughs> oh. so yeah, we've got to wrap oh. up. But, um, <laughs> but if people want to find out more about you, where would they go? Um, I think that the most convenient one would be on Instagram. You can find me at David Kam K W. So that's David K A M for mother, because I'm a mom's boy, and K W. Um, alternatively, if you'd like to read up more about me, you can go onto my website, mm. uh, which you can also find through my Instagram on the link. And I'll just say that so it's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, Instagram is where I really, uh, really, sh- usually share my daily thoughts. So little things like uh, we've been doing here, but in little spurts, like a little diary entry. Yeah. So what, what does KW stand for? Uh, my my full name and in initials really. And it's down to logistics because so my full name is David Kam Kiawe. Oh. So it would have been KW. Uh-huh. Um, and it's because someone has David Kam on Instagram. <laughs> Give it up, David Kam. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to go for David Kam yoga in a sense because yeah. uh yeah, I wanted to fully reflect like my my life. Yeah, that's fair. Then like this being the yoga me, because yoga is my, my, my life as a whole. Yeah, so yeah. this is just me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, David Cam KW, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Amazing. Yeah, man. Boom, another one in the bag. What an absolute pleasure that man is. Joy, gentleman, and a scholar. Um, so, to leave you, to love you and leave you, Small Changes, my new sponsor. Organic, eco-friendly plant-based whole foods refills juice bar zero waste ethos drum conjure d9 dublin check them out smallchanges.ie no promo code no coupon to give you um, just go down there bring a refillable cup get 50 cent off a fresh juice or a smoothie have a little browse around i recommend you follow them online instagram twitter you'll see that they have some exciting stuff coming up this summer, which I'm particularly excited about because it affects my local area. And um, I don't know how much I can say, but um, uh, I'm having uh, Podder, who's the owner on actually next uh, next couple of weeks as my guest. And um, yeah, his story in itself is very interesting. And he does really great things for the community. 
Uh, I, I really believe in making a change and small changes make a big difference. And the other change you can make is what you're wearing. What are you putting on your body? I don't mean how good do you look. I mean, where does the material come from? How is it made? How can you do your bit? Because hopefully, you, I assume you want to wear clothes for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you can get away with going around naked. But it gets to a stage where you've got to cover up, you know. Uh, and if you're going to cover up, look good while doing it, especially with a fella. To do that, go to om.com forward slash hashtag T-Y-L-P. That's O-H-M-M-E dot com forward slash hashtag T-Y-L-P. What, what is OM, you're asking? Did you not hear the start of the podcast when I told you already? But let me tell you again, in case you forgot. <laughs> or you, or you did, maybe you skipped that bit. Well, I'll get you now anyway. So OM.com create high-quality men's apparel with movement in mind. I wear their gear all the time. Uh, all their stuff is made from recycled paper, packaging, and uh, recycled fabrics. They are at the forefront of sustainability when it comes to manufacturing clothing. And I'm really proud to have them as a sponsor. So if you would like to get yourself some clobber, you go to om.com forward slash hashtag TYLP, put in the promo code Kevin at checkout, and you get 15% off all your gear. So that's Kevin at checkout for 15% off. We're done. Thank you so much for listening. If you listened all the way to the end, God bless you. I really appreciate it. Um, I absolutely love doing this. I'm so proud to have the sponsors I have to get all the lovely messages that people are sending me. And um, yeah, it's, I, I absolutely love doing this. So keep sending me messages. It really encourages me to know that this is helping you. And um, any questions, comments, concerns, let me know. If you like, share on your Instagram stories, that makes the biggest difference, I find, for spreading the word out there. Any requests for guests, let me know. I'm all ears. If you'd like to support the podcast directly, you can go to kevinboyyoga.ie forward slash support the yoga life podcast and uh, feel free to make a donation. That would be much appreciated as well. Look after yourself. That's enough from me. Have a powerful week. Ta-ta.